startuprad.io, your podcast and YouTube blog covering the German startup scene with news, interviews, and live events. Hello and welcome, everybody. This is Joe from StartupRate.io, your startup podcast and YouTube blog from Germany. Today, I do have Maximilian, aka Max, here as guest. Hey, how you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm doing great, thank you. As people can, uh, could see with a very tiny moment, I've shifted to your picture that uh, you are first um, with iconic holdings and secondly, you are in the city of Frankfurt. We can see some of the uh, iconic buildings in the background. But let us first talk a little bit about what you did that brought you into your current position. I've, I've seen you studied at universities quite internationally and uh, finished with an MBA. Uh, yeah, that's very true. Actually, my bachelor degree was in uh, Ludwigshafen. Um, the reason for that is that I was not good, at, good enough at school to actually join Mannheim Business School. Um, I rather enjoyed life uh, back in the days when I was 18, 19, 20. Yeah, I then did my bachelor's degree in Ludwigshafen and decided to start as a management consultant. Um, I worked in the areas yeah, of digitization and project management. This is for a few years, but yeah, to be honest, um, I, never, I, I was never very passionate about um, consulting itself. It was uh, very interesting from a learning curve perspective. But then on a personal level, I actually became passionate about uh, finance and alternative finance in particular. So I decided to then do my MBA here at the Frankfurt School of Finance and to do my Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst. Yeah, this is um, how I more or less uh, came to the private equity space then. Uh, we may add that Ludwigshafen and Mannheim are two cities just just divided by the River Rhine, where Ludwigshafen may be famous for being the headquarter of the chemical company BASF and home to the largest chemical plant complex in the world. And the city of Mannheim is famous within Mannheim because it's basically a circle and within the circle there are squares. And so, uh, for example, you don't live in this and that street, um, number this and that, but you live, for example, in Q7, in Q79, which is quite interesting. But trivia, I learned not one square. So to say square of the city of Mannheim is actually a square. Ha. Um, so, so basically you grew up in that area, I assume, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm born and raised in Heidelberg. And of course, I mean, Heidelberg, I mean, just for the audience, Heidelberg, uh, Mannheim, Ludwigshafen, they all belong to one metropolitan area. Uh, we have quite a strong economy there. I mean, we have BASF, as you have already mentioned, we have SAP. We have Heidel Druck, we have Heidel uh, Cement, uh, we have MLP, we have Build, the company behind uh, Capri Sun. So, um, yeah, a very cool um, area uh, for doing business. Yes, and there there's a big um, plant of John Deere, the, the tractor manufacturer of the US, right? Yeah, the European headquarter, exactly, yeah. I remember a friend of mine used to live close by and actually uh, I, I was always wondering what are those guys doing there? That's the European headquarter. Aha, uh -huh, I learned something. Um, but let us get back a little bit to you. Um, you've been a private equity analyst. Um, many people out there aspire to do something like this. What, what did you actually do there? 
it was actually not private equity um, directly, so I never analyzed the underlying companies, so the targets. I analyzed uh, from a fund of funds perspective the different funds. So what we did normally, we got like all the uh, private uh, placement memorandums, so PPMs, uh, from the different funds. They could be turnaround strategies, um, leverage buyouts, management buyouts, or even venture capital and growth funds. Then we analyzed them based on different KPIs, and then we brought the best into one vehicle, which then acts as a fund of fund for private equity-like uh, investments. So we analyzed uh, the fund itself. So we went on Prequin. Prequin is a tool for the alternative asset space um, that's similar to Bloomberg. So you see how the different fund managers performed, um, how the funds did in what vintage years, and uh, that way you can benchmark the funds and can see the track record because Private equity, as the name suggests, is a little bit, yeah, more private. <laughs> I like that one. Yes, uh, Ferry, the company behind it, is something like a German version of Morningstar for everybody who doesn't know them. And then you went on to become a venture developer. And I do believe that's where we, we kind of see the way towards uh, being an entrepreneur for, from you, right? Yeah, 100%. I then really wanted to deep dive into the fintech space and alternative assets. And this was the perfect position. It was actually the best job I ever had. I mean, besides what I'm doing now, because now I have my own business. <laughs> um, but what we did, um, we, um, we created uh, fintech startups from scratch and normally in the alternative asset space. So my first project was, it's called the Baufi app by Commerzbank. So it was an app where you... Imagine you walk around the city and you think, oh, this is a district where I want to live. You would be tracked by geotracking, and then you would find similar buildings to the one where you are standing, which are on the market. And until you get like a, um, yeah, a quote for buying the house, you could do everything digitally. I think until today, probably no one has done it yet. <laughs> But at least, at least we saw uh, what's uh, yeah, feasible from a technological point of view. And the second project was um, an alternative asset platform, so a way to digitally uh, invest into alternative assets and that way just make access um, or give access to people in an easier manner for private equity, commodities, real estate and asset classes like that. And this is actually, so you're absolutely right because this is actually where my entrepreneurial <laughs> career started because To be very honest with you, I'm not the guy who in 2013 said, yes, Bitcoin is the best thing in the world. And I bought in 2014 10,000 Bitcoin and now I'm a billionaire and don't have to work anymore. That's not the story here. Um, as you can see, I'm still in the office. Uh, but, but it would be a nice story though, right? <laughs> would be a nice story, but it wouldn't be true. And what co convinced me of crypto assets was actually uh, Ethereum. Uh, it was in 2016, so when I was working at the company builder, we also had a project in the insurtech space. And I saw, because in parallel, I was already invested in a Nigerian startup. And I saw how extremely difficult it is for them to get an insurance. It's impossible. But with a peer-to-peer -peer approach, you can actually insure everyone in the world, even if he doesn't have access to financial infrastructure. And this is what really convinced me. So smart contracts and the way not only to send cash or to send money, but also to settle an asset at the same time. 
Ha. And we may add because like uh, 80 to 90 percent of the people out there are not German speakers. When you talked about Baufi, that's kind of the abbreviation of Baufinanzierung, which usually refers to uh, uh, the credit you need to build your own home, your own house or buy an apartment or something like this. Plus, you use something that is called alternative assets, which used to be in the past uh, defined as private equity in hedge funds. But basically, asset managers tend to refer to it everything that is not bonds, shares or cash. Some include ETFs, some include derivatives, but it, it, it's not a 100% defined space, right? Um, I mean, by the Kaya, so by Chartered Alternative Investment um, Association, um, it is actually defined as the following. It's structured product, so you're right, yeah, structured product. It's infrastructure, it's commodities, it's um, also timber and forestry, private equity, hedge fund, and also surprisingly real estate. Ha, I, I, I remember vividly when I was uh, looking into, uh, into doing a CFA at one point for the uh, CFA Institute in the past, uh, even ETFs used to be alternative investments. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. I, I mean, I think the definition is, I mean, even the definition of an asset class varies a lot from, uh, you might, yeah, you might ask this tower and get a different answer than from this tower. Yeah, <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Aha, uh aha, -huh, uh -huh. I see, I see, see. And um, then you have been a venture developer, which, as you said, was an awesome job. But uh, then you started your own uh, your own investment company, Beteiligungsgesellschaft. What did you do there and how did it happen that you started one of those companies? It actually started with my investment in Nigeria. Um, so... Um, I always wanted to support entrepreneurs when they have ideas. I mean, very, very early stage. And it was actually a friend of mine. Um, I met him in my MBA, uh, John, um, who's from Nigeria. And he had the idea to launch an, a startup there in the logistics space, more or less a marketplace for um, logistic uh, capacities so that you can actually match transporting capacities with the demand on the market. I was so convinced of it, and this is like, yeah, this was my first investment as a business angel, and I just did it in this uh, GmbH, so limited umbrella, because it's just from an investment point of view uh, better. Now, today, I think I have done seven or no six investments personally as an angel, and yeah, I just found it to have the right uh, vehicle to do so. People may not know this, but Nigeria is a very interesting market if you want to invest in Africa because it's the most populous country there. Um, so basically, you have been a business and angel investor with this entity. Uh, how did you approach investments? Because first, apparently, with just a friend of yours, did you do other investments and how did you find them? Mm -hmm. It's very different stories. Uh, let me think very quick. Um, I mean, most of the people were actually like warm leads, <laughs> how you would define it. So people I knew, and I was very convinced of what they're doing. For example, another um, yeah, colleague of mine or guy I know launched a prop tech startup. So in the real estate space, I um, invested into this. I invested into Captain Bitcoin from Harsh. He's also a colleague of mine, uh, which is apparently in the crypto space. 
And my last investment, this was actually a cold reach out. I never met these guys before. It's called Prep My Meal. So it's like a fresh food uh, delivery. And yeah, I decided to invest there like uh, two months ago. So as you can see, it's quite industry agnostic, but always I would always just go with small ticket sizes and in the very early stage. That's extremely important because otherwise it would be too much money for me. I'm not that wealthy. I, unfortunately, I didn't buy Bitcoin in 2012, as I have mentioned earlier. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, then in 2017, um, you joined Iconic Lab at this point. We'll soon get to this. Uh, you said you became interested in the crypto space with Ethereum um, for several reasons, right? Yeah, um, I mean, I just saw the use cases. I mean, for example, I mentioned the uh, insurance space earlier, but also, um, also if you look, for example, at the supply chain, yeah, how you can now track, for example, um, sustainability within the su supply chain. Imagine a banana gets from, let's say, Morocco to the port of Spain, yeah, and it has to be cooled down the whole time at 15 degrees. Now you have a, you are measuring the temperature within the container. And then an NFC chip would directly send it to a blockchain and it can never be changed again. And this like single source of trust that the blockchain offers just um, yeah, convinced me from the very, very beginning. But the reason Pat and me found it iconic is when in early 2000, I think it was the first quarter of 2017, we saw a report by CB Insights. Um, who, how um, blockchain companies are actually getting funded. And then you saw a huge increase of this bullshit thing, <laughs> ICO. Yeah, we have never heard of it. We didn't know what it is. We thought, oh my God, now more blockchain companies are actually getting funded through an initial coin offering than through equity. And um, we had the vision that venture capital, and we still have the vision that venture capital one day will be decentralized. You won't have VCs as a gatekeeper and that it will be that there will be a secondary market for startup investments. And in a tokenized world, I still believe that's absolutely true. But at the end of the day, we were still too early because, I mean, law has to adjust um, to that. A lot of things, actually, also the financial infrastructure, the vehicles, everything has to adjust. I think in three to five years, we will see a tokenized economy where you have a liquid secondary market, also for startup investments, and where venture cap or venture investments are more decentralized. Um, and yes, and this is what we wanted to do there with Iconic Lab. Back in the day, still with a queue. We will get to that shortly, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, we invested into uh, 10 companies in total. And the idea was to then get a part of their, um, or a certain percentage of their token um, when they do an ICO. Two of those companies um, did an ICO, actually. Uh, the remaining ones actually decided to do an equity. Uh, fundraising instead and we converted our money into equity there we were actually quite successful so if we look today i mean um 80 of them so nine out of the 11 um are actually um still around and are pretty well financed and in total i think we have like five times our money back this, this sounds pretty good um so you guys help them as an initial idea to prepare for an ICO. We may skip a little bit the ICO topic because we talked in the last few years a lot about it, but I do believe you changed your business model since ICOs became a little bit unsexy. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just just not, I mean, with the problems I mentioned earlier, I'm, I'm still completely convinced of a tokenized economy. But ICOs, how they were done in 2017, of course, was just a hype that was not sustainable. Not sustainable at all. And um, as you can see now, the whole world is getting funding through, again, or still, through venture capital, business angels, corporate venture capital, and so on. Um, but I'm still 100% aligned with the visions we had back then. But nonetheless, it was um, yeah, not an attractive business model for us anymore because ICOs died in, uh, yeah, in the beginning of 2018. Um, and so we decided to do crypto asset management for, um, let's say, blue chip cryptocurrencies. So because we saw a lot of investor demand actually for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for Ripple, Litecoin, all this uh, blue chip crypto assets, but there are no good traditional vehicles how you can invest into those assets. So we thought, okay, let's always find the best possible vehicle and give traditional minded investors the right vehicle to, to get exposure to crypto assets. Before we get into that, um... Iconic Lab was an ICO accelerator. You still believe in it. Do you think that there will be a, a less hyped second wave of ICOs at one point in the future where startups again are funding themselves via ICOs? Um, I think it will never be named ICO again. But what I believe is that all equities in the future will be tokenized. And hence, every fundraise would be an initial coin offering. And this, I mean, it doesn't matter if you call it security token offering, initial coin offering, initial exchange offering. These were all buzzwords. But I completely believe that startups will get, that all equities will be tokenized. And hence, um, the whole early stage investment ecosystem could be a leak, liquid and fungible market because now people can trade the equities lying on a token directly with each other. And this is what I find beautiful. And I, I completely believe that this will be the future. Huh, I see, see. And um, as you said, you've seen ICOs die and you decided to give access in a more traditional way to the crypto space. How did you guys start and how did you get this idea? And the idea was actually investor demand. So we saw that some of our investors, so the people who invested into our startups, into the ICOs, and also into our equity, said, why is there no proper vehicle how I can get exposure, for example, to Bitcoin, to Ethereum? Because we don't have any ETFs, we don't have any uh, usage funds. Um, aren't there any vehicles on the world that you could actually use to, where you could have crypto as an underlying? And this is around, I think, two years ago where this happened. And we decided to found um, Iconic Funds. Um, and the first vehicle, so we really we, we looked at every country in the European Union. And we then um, discovered a vehicle called PIF, Professional Investment Fund in Malta, where we were able to do the first licensed um, crypto index fund in Europe. And that was pretty cool because now we can give investors exposure to the top 20 cryptocurrencies but in a traditional vehicle where all the data is in the systems of like in germany we have this i don't know if you're familiar with it uh, bm daten this is like you could maybe compare it to like morningstar or to bloomberg so 
it is it is in the IT systems of the bank. So everyone who invests into the bank can then see the net asset value of their holdings every month. So uh, VM Daten is a German version of, a, a, I, I would say, a German-speaking uh, version of um, a financial data, data provider. And uh, you guys were in there still iconic funds with a Q, I do believe, right? Yes. Yeah. And now you guys were somewhere between being an ICO accelerator and an alternative asset management. You consider yourself an asset manager or a white labeling house or asset management service provider? We are 100% in crypto asset manager. So with Iconic Lab, um, we are not an ICO accelerator anymore. We are just an equity investor in blockchain companies. So the last investments we did is just very, very early stage. We invest into uh, blockchain startups and that's industry agnostic. Could be from the IoT space, could be from the AI space, from fintech, from crypto itself. So quite industry agnostic because we believe blockchain plays a crucial role in a lot of industries. Um, so this is what we are doing with Iconic Lab, but that's maybe 10% of our focus at the moment. 90% of our focus is really Iconic Funds, and there we are just the issuer of um, financial vehicles, so an asset manager. So we try to give you, or we, yeah, we try to give you the best possible exposure to crypto in a traditional manner. Norm normally, a mutual fund in Germany is structured like there's an asset manager. For example, many people may know DWS. And then there is a company that actually keeps the assets safe on behalf of the investor. So basically, the asset manager doesn't have the assets in the house. It belongs to a different bank, in the case of DWS, mostly State Street. And um, are you guys working in a similar way? Yeah, 100%. What we found out in the very beginning is that a lot of players in the space, unfortunately, don't use best practice space. For example, you see a lot of players that are as you custody. So what this means is um, they hold their own assets, maybe on their wallets within their company. Yeah. And this is very, very risky. Or they are their own index provider, for example. For us, it's different. We have Uh, we have Coinbase Pro and we have Fidelity Digital Assets as our um, custodians. So they are holding the assets for us. I think they are the most trusted parties in the world. And we are indeed, as you just said, we are the issuer of the financial vehicle itself. Um, what are you guys issuing? Is this like a usage compliant mutual fund? Um, usage is not... a not yet possible for cryptos because usage has a, um, they must be diversified to a certain extent and the problem at the moment is that bafin views all crypto assets as the same asset and that's a problem that you can maximum have exposure in a usage fund i think 10 of crypto once the bafin decides that like ethereum for example is a different asset than bitcoin and bitcoin is a different asset than ripple then usage funds are absolutely possible even crypto. At the moment, um, as I said earlier, we decided to first go with the professional investment fund uh, in Malta. It's quite similar to an alternative investment fund, so to an AVE. In the US, I mean, we also have an office in New York, 
uh, our hedge funds are launched through a Delaware Cayman Island structure. And then um, the product that we are uh, doing at the moment, uh, which will get approved by BaFin here, are ETNs, so exchange traded notes. They are kind of certificates, but they are trading in the regulated market, whereas certificates traditionally um, or typically trade on the open market. That's the big difference there. And as I'm really sorry, I was buzzwording usage is undertaking for collective investments in transferable securities is basically the legal framework for mutual funds in the European Union. And I do believe they became pretty popular worldwide. So you guys are actually not necessarily, especially with the hedge funds, not addressing like the simple retail investor, you are um, catering more to the really professional investor here, right? Yeah, we are a little bit limited by law. We want to target everyone, but uh, the professional investment fund in Malta and also AIFs here, and also hedge funds, of course, on the Cayman Islands, they are all targeting, it depends what definition you use. In the US, you would say accredited investor, in the EU, the definition is qualified investor. In Germany, we have professional and semi-professional semi investors. So, um, yeah, but they, yes, they are only targeting those. For the ETPs or for the ETNs, it's different. Um, that they, they will be trading um, on the exchanges here and they will be 100% accessible to retail investors. We may add that those qualifications you talked about are just basically uh, um, an attempt at investor protection because uh, those people who qualify at this higher level, like a professional investor or the other forms, as you said, uh, that are basically people that are doing this full time. They do have a full time staff and they have enough financial assets to actually absorb losses and that's the idea that uh the lawmakers um have different brackets of professionalism for investors and um now you have such a lot of structures and i do believe we talked to you as the coo and co-founder of iconic holdings and iconic holdings is like the top structure above all of that yeah 100 so iconic holding is the parent company and underneath we have uh, Iconic Funds, so the crypto asset manager with uh, yeah, and the issuer of financial vehicles. Then we have Iconic Lab, which is the early stage blockchain investor. In the future, we might um, have another venture capital fund underneath the structure. And then in the US, we have the multi-manager, which basically is the infrastructure where we launch uh, different hedge fund uh, strategies. Hi. Has opened an office in Dubai as well. This is quite new. Very nice. And uh, realize uh, every time we do something with crypto, we are not only in Switzerland, the Philippines, and Singapore pretty uh, pretty sought after, but also in uh, the United Arab Emirates. And there is Dubai as well. So um, you got to the right people. Um, let us talk a little bit about how big you guys are like in terms of headcount and what are the future plans when we're going to hear from you again mm -hmm. so at the moment we are um, 11 no we are 12 people we are 10 uh, people here in frankfurt no 13 sorry we had some people here in frankfurt <laughs> sorry uh, it's uh, it's always changing uh, we are 10 people here in frankfurt then we have one employee in singapore 
we have uh, and two people in the US, uh, Dylan and Dominic, that are heading our business there. Um, yeah, future plan is of course scaling. Uh, we want to be the biggest um, crypto asset manager in Europe. Um, that's our goal, and we are 100% convinced we can become it. I mean, our investors include Christian Angermeyer with his Cryptology Group, uh, FinLab here from Frankfurt, also Hightech Crypto Fund, which is the biggest continental European uh, VC. So we have amazing investors with a good network, and we are very, very optimistic that we can uh, fundraise very well for our financial vehicles. Yeah, and at the moment, we are just about to um, start our Series B round, which will be our last financing round um, to scale the operations even further. And we may add, we talked to Alex von Frankenberg, the CEO um, and managing partner of the Hightech Gründerfonds. And we published it shortly before Christmas, which is by now like two months in the past, but we link down here in the show notes, of course, everything there. Everybody is interested in getting into your Series B. Uh, we'll have, of course, as always, not only the website of Iconic Holdings down here in the show notes, but also your personal LinkedIn profile so people can reach out directly to you, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, we were just a uh, kickoff fundraising, I think, today. And we are very, very excited. And um, I think this is going to be a bright future because crypto asset management is a little bit, yeah, one of the hottest topics, I think, at the moment. Uh, there's a lot of interest. And yes, I'm very, very optimistic about the future. I only do have one more question because I frequently heard, um, especially Bitcoin, but not only Bitcoin, also cryptocurrencies refer to as the gold of the future would you agree to that thesis or do you work on another investment thesis um so for me this narrative actually is absolutely right for bitcoin bitcoin for me is digital gold um i mean i don't want to talk too much about theoretical and financial concepts here But um, maybe just a very quick story. There's something which is called the stock-to-flow ratio. It's normally used for um, evaluating gold. What you Let's just do a quick example. Let's assume there's still one ton of gold um, under the earth. And let's say there's 1,000 tons of gold um, in circulation all over the globe. This would mean that the stock-to-flow ratio is 1,000. Um, if there now is only... 500 kilos uh, under the earth and we have 2,000 um, tons in circulation, then the stock-to-flow ratio would be 4,000. So, and you can see the higher the stock-to-flow ratio goes, the higher the gold price should be. And the beautiful thing is about Bitcoin that we always know the circulating uh, supply and we always know how many Bitcoin are getting mined. 6.25 Bitcoins are getting mined uh, in, a t in 10 minutes. And the interesting thing is now that not only this model does apply for gold very well, but also for Bitcoin. If you look like uh, from 2013 to today, you can see that the theoretical price of Bitcoin according to stock-to-flow ratio is pretty much in line with um, the price of Bitcoin itself. And if you follow the model, um, it should be priced at like $100,000 until the end of this year, what I find very interesting. I mean, this is not a forecast. <laughs> Um, but it's very interesting what the model uh, suggests here. And also JP Morgan made an analysis 
um, that in December, a lot of the outflows of gold were actually inflows uh, into Bitcoin. Hmm. Great. So uh, I think there is a lot we could talk about in the future. Maybe we'll have you back in the fall and talk a little bit mo uh, more about the crypto space. It was just a pleasure having you. Thank you very much for being my guest and sorry for the like dimming and uh, brightening of uh, your environment. But uh, I, I'm afraid that has something to do with the sun and that there's nothing we can really con control from here. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure having you here. Thank you so much and sorry for the lightning. At least we can be sure it wasn't the wallpaper. <laughs> <laughs>